Thank you, Tim and Susie, for your warm welcome. It's lovely to be here. Uh, I hope you appreciate the weather that I brought all the way from London uh, to Denver. London is where I, I now live uh, with my wife, Liz, um, but my home city, my home land is Northern Ireland, Belfast, Northern Ireland. So I thought I'd get that in, in case you sort of sit there wondering, where is this guy from? Uh, that's the accent, or at least that's the remains of the accent, uh, is that I'm Northern Irish, which means that I'm British, but not English, uh, which some Americans find quite difficult to sort of square up, but that's, that's the fact, okay? Northern Ireland, part of the United Kingdom, British, but Irish. So it's good to be here and sharing with you. And, of course, the only reason is because uh, of Tim and Susie's friendship with, with uh, Dr. Ben Hoban, uh, going back all those years. And it is amazing, isn't it, how the Lord does that. He sort of brings friends together and then uh, brings other friends together in the bonds of the gospel. Uh, and before you know you are, you're preaching in a church you've never been to before. So uh, it's great to be with you. Now, let me find this little thing in my pocket. Uh, oh, there it is, up there. Because uh, I want to share with you something about what Langham Partnership is and does, so that you're a little bit perhaps better informed about that before you go away today. But I want to do it within, within an envelope, as it were, of, of biblical thinking, um, because I strongly believe that what we do in Langham Partnership has its roots in the Scriptures, uh, and, uh, and that's what I want to share with you. So let's pray together, and then we'll turn to that passage on the screen from Colossians chapter 1. Heavenly Father, thank you for your people who throughout the world today, uh, in every continent, in every time zone, have been worshipping and praising you on this Lord's Day. And we thank you that we join with them and with all the company of heaven in bringing you praise and worship. And now we come to your word and we come to think about what it teaches us and how we can live it out ourselves and how can we be part uh, of the global church in the ways it also seeks to live out this part of your words. So speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. If I were to say to you that the church is growing all over the world, I wonder what you would think I meant. I think the, the, the natural assumption would be that you mean it's growing in numbers, that uh, churches are being planted, people are coming to faith in Christ, evangelism is happening, church planting is happening, and by God's grace, that's true. It is the fact uh, that all over the continents of the world, God's church is growing. Uh, sometimes uh, in the West, you know, here in the States, and certainly in Britain and Europe, uh, we bemoan the fact that the church often seems to be static or in some places declining, uh, but that's not the case globally. The church is growing in numbers, and that's wonderful. But if you'd ask the Apostle Paul, Brother Paul, are your churches growing? I don't think you'd have understood the question in that way. Because for the Apostle Paul, what we call church growth, meaning numerical growth, he would have called gospel growth. If you look at Colossians chapter 1, uh, he talks in this way. He, he says, I know that, this is verse 5, Colossians 1 verse 5, I know that you have already heard the true message of the gospel that has come to you, and in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you first heard it. So for Paul, numerical growth was simply the gospel doing its stuff. You know, the gospel is a power. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. So when the gospel goes out in the world, people come, people are saved, the church grows. So for Paul, numerical growth is just the gospel doing its thing, growing around the world. 
So if you'd asked him again, but Paul, are your churches growing? I think he would have said, yes, I trust that they are because I'm praying that they are. But the kind of growth that Paul wanted to see was growth not just in numbers, but growth in maturity. He wanted to see people growing up in Christ, growing in maturity. Uh, And that's what he prays for. Uh, In fact, he says that it's part of his purpose. He says this at the end of chapter 1, that my goal is to preach Christ and to present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's his goal. Not just to bring them to faith, not just to get converts to go to heaven when they die, but to present people who have grown up into mature adult Christians in their knowledge and their faith. So that's what he says he's praying for in this passage in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. If you have a Bible, you might want to keep it open because I'm going to be referring to it for some time. But let me read it now to us because we need to get this word into our minds. Here's Paul's prayer, Colossians 1, verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. There's that growing thing again. And being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. And then he carries on with a few more sentences. So that's Paul's understanding of growing up. And I think you could say that it it has sort of three elements to it. He's saying, I want you guys to grow up in your heads, in your hands, and in your hearts, uh, in all the different areas of verse 9, verse 10, verse 11. So he says, I want you to grow up in the knowledge of God's will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, when the Apostle Paul talks about the will of God, which he does quite a bit, as you know, he doesn't usually mean God's personal will for me and my life, what we sometimes call guidance. Okay? Now, we say, I, I want to find God's will for my life, or I want our children to find God's will for their lives. And, of course, that's good and proper. And Paul wouldn't have argued with that. But when he uses this expression, which he does here and in Ephesians and in Romans and elsewhere, he talks about finding the will of God and knowing the will. He means the plan of God, the great cosmic purpose of God that God has been about ever since creation, right through the whole story of the Scriptures. That's why I use this expression, knowing God's story. Because in a sense, that's what the Bible is. I, I, I don't know whether you're aware of that, whether you, I don't know what you think the Bible is. Uh, Some people think the Bible is just a book full of rules, you know, and, uh, well, there's plenty of rules there. Or maybe just a a book full of promises, you know, a nice thought for every day that you can stick on a calendar and tear off uh, or on your app or phone, you know, sort of a daily promise. Well, there are plenty of promises in the Bible, but that's not what it is. Some people think the Bible is just a book full of doctrines. You know, it's all systematic theology that got a bit jumbled up, and we've got to sort it out alphabetically uh, and get it all straight. Well, again, there's plenty of teaching in the Bible. What the Bible fundamentally is, it's the story of God. It begins with creation. Then it tells the story of our rebellion against Him. And then the promise of God to Abraham that He would bring blessing into the world through the people of Israel. Act 3. And then in Act 4, he brings in the Lord Jesus Christ who keeps that promise of God 
to the Old Testament Israel and who is the Messiah, the King, the one who suffers and dies and gives his life and rises again and is at the right hand of the Father, the whole gospel center of the story. It doesn't end there because then the Holy Spirit comes. Act 5, we move into the mission of the church, the New Testament story of God's mission spreading through the ends of the earth. Go into all the world, says Jesus, and preach the gospel. And that's not the end because Act 6 is when the Lord returns. And He doesn't take us off to heaven. He comes here to transform this creation into the new heaven and the new earth in which God will reign and which we will reign with Him. So there's this great biblical story of our faith which we need to get hold of and understand. Paul says, I want you to grow in the knowledge of that. I want you to know God's plan and God's purpose and then live accordingly. So it's very important, therefore, that in any church, in any community of Christians, that the Word of God is being taught, the Scriptures for what it is, this great story of God. That's how we grew up. But then Paul goes on, doesn't he? Not just what stuffing our heads with knowledge and teaching, but also how we live in the world, how we use our hands in that metaphorical sense. And Paul says, I want you to live a life that is worthy of the Lord, that is actually living out that story, living in God's story, living by God's standards, living in a way that is pleasing to Him, and if it's pleasing to him, God, then it probably won't be pleasing to the world. In other words, we've got to be different. We have to live in a way which is bearing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, in the world around us. And so Paul says, I want you to grow up to maturity in how you live, in doing good works, in pleasing God, in showing the evidence of your faith. So there's our heads, there's our hands, and then thirdly, as you can see, Paul turns to the hearts, the, the commitment and conviction. He says, I want you to be strengthened with all God's power according to His glorious might so that you may have endurance and patience. Well, why? Why did they need endurance? Well, because, of course, people Paul was writing to, these very early believers in the Roman city of Colossae, which is in what we would now call Western Turkey, uh, it was a Roman city. Uh, the streets would have been filled with the statues of Roman gods. The temples were everywhere. In order to participate in society, you had to say, Caesar is Lord, and uh, burn incense to him. In order to be part of the business community, you had to go to the temple worship. Uh, in order to be anything and anybody, you had to be part of a community that would meet and would worship the Roman gods. And so if you became a believer in Jesus and could no longer say Caesar is Lord, but Jesus is Lord, it wasn't just what you did on a Sunday that changed. It meant that your whole life could fall apart because you might lose friends, you might lose business contacts, you might be ostracized, you might even suffer persecution, you could even lose your life. And so for Paul writing to these early Christians here and in other letters, he would be praying that they would stand firm, that they would have the courage, even if they had to suffer to endure and to be patient under their faith. So he praised God's strength in their hearts for that endurance. And that's what Paul means then by maturity. He wants Christians to grow up from that first flickering of faith when they come as babies in Christ, to be growing up through the nourishing teaching of the Bible and through the constant living in God's way and then proving God's strength in their daily lives. So the question we have to ask is, how does that happen? And the way it happens is through that bottom line on the screen, when Christian communities are solidly grounded in God's Word. That's what Paul says at the end of chapter 3. 
He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Paul is talking about a community of believers, like we are here in this place. And he wants them to be living together and loving together and learning together, that they will be learning the Word of Christ, by which, of course, he means the Scriptures, as he talks about elsewhere in, in his letters, that they will be deeply, deeply grounded in the Scriptures. And as the roots go down in the Scriptures, so they will grow up in maturity in Christ. So is that what's true here? I trust it is. This is the first time I've been here, and I pray that that's exactly what uh, you get in this church, and that's what you pray for, Tim and Susie, that as, as your co-pastors, they will be doing this, leading you in that deepening maturity in Christ. As they are growing more, that they will be leading you as a congregation in that way. But of course, the fact is, as we know, that as we go all over the world and around the churches, even churches in this land and in my home country, that would not be true of many churches. And that's where we come to the man who uh, Tim mentioned just a little bit earlier, John Stott, who was the founder of the Langham Partnership, just said a little bit about it in a minute. Uh, he's with the Lord now. He died in 2011. But uh, if you don't know much about him, do Google his name and you will find an amazing life story or, or go to the Langham Partnership website, just langham.org, and you can read all about him there. But he was a great leader of the global evangelical community throughout the second half of the 20th century, really from about 1950 onwards. Uh, he was a very significant leader. Uh, and when, l more recently in the, in the 1990s and 2000s, if ever he was asked what he thought of the state of the global church, his answer would be this. And I heard him say it so many times, I can remember it off by heart. He said, the problem with the global church today can be summed up in three words. Growth without depth. And then he would go on to expand what he meant. Of course, the church is growing, praise God, but there's so much evangelistic growth that remains very shallow because people are not being discipled and taught and trained and going deeper into their faith and deeper into the Scriptures. So there's growth, but growth without depth. And for that reason, he framed what has come to be called, or we call it in our organization, the Langham Logic. Actually, that was a phrase that John Stott himself used, because he says in, in the ministries that he started, we have three biblical convictions which lead to one inescapable conclusion. That's his way of putting it, like to sort of imitate him a little bit. First conviction, he said, is that God wants His church to grow up, not just to grow bigger, but to grow up in maturity. And then he would quote verses like we just looked at from Paul and elsewhere, uh, and from, say, Jesus' parable of the seed and the sower. Uh, it's no good just scattering seed if it gets snatched away or if it grows quickly and then withers. Seed needs deep soil in order to grow to maturity and produce good fruit. So God wants that. And secondly, that the church of God grows through God's Word. It's when Believers are fed with the Word of God that they will then grow in their understanding and their maturity and their mission and their strength because it is the Word of God that is nourishing them uh, in the way that our mothers fed us as children. The reason why we're all adults today is not because we had wonderful hotel chefs who gave us fantastic 
fancy food, but because we had mothers who knew how to feed us every day with the basic nourishment that we needed in order to grow up. And so Stott would say it's churches uh, that are fed with the Word of God that will grow and flourish and be effective in the mission, and churches which are starved of the Word of God will eventually wither and perish. So God wants His church to grow up. The church grows through God's Word. And thirdly, God's Word comes through preaching. And of course, He didn't mean exclusively, because obviously people can read the Bible for themselves, or they can join a Bible study group and, and read it. But the point is that He was trying to make is that in many parts of the world today, especially in those poorer parts of the world where multitudes of people are coming to faith in Jesus, they have very little resources like we have to study God's Word for themselves. They may not even be literate, so they can't read the Bible for themselves. They may not be able to afford a Bible for themselves. The Bible may not have been translated into their mother tongue. And so, for many, many new believers, the only way they will ever come to be fed with God's Word and to grow up to maturity is if when they gather together, somebody opens the Scriptures and preaches and teaches it to them in a way that they can understand, communicating faithfully what God has put in His Word, and then applying it and making it relevant to those people's lives. So John said, these are our convictions. God wants the church to grow up, grow through God's Word. The Word of God comes through the preaching. So therefore, the logical question to ask is, he says, what can we do to raise the standards of biblical preaching? Uh, and that really was John Stott's passion all through his own life. He was a great Bible preacher and teacher himself, uh, wrote approximately 50 books. He never said he knew how many because he thought it was sinful to count them, uh, but there we are. It was something of that order. But all of his ministry was geared to not only doing the job himself, but encouraging and equipping others to do likewise. So that has led to not only his vision, but the Langham vision. Here's his vision. What he said is what we want to do is to resource the church. And so he put it like this. How do we respond to the spiritual need of the people of God? First, we have a vision of pulpits which are occupied by faithful preachers, men and women who will expound the Word of God. Secondly, we have a vision of seminaries where, which are staffed by scholar saints who permanently influence their students for good. That is, places where future pastors are being trained seminaries or Bible colleges, by those who will train them well. And thirdly, we have a vision of books which will stimulate and facilitate the biblical study and teaching of pastor preachers. So those are his precise words taken from a document that he wrote in the 1990s to try to explain the Langham Partnership. And when that's all crystallized into something a bit more brief and able to remember, it's the Langham Partnership vision. And this is our vision statement, is to see churches, churches all over the world, equipped for mission and growing to maturity in Christ. There's that phrase, what, what the Apostle Paul wanted. And they're doing that, they're growing up in Christ through the ministry of pastors and leaders who believe and teach and live by the Word of God. So it's a ministry, this Langham Partnership, which is focused on the Scriptures, but is focused on the transmission of the Scriptures through people who will know how to preach and teach it well and who will be doing it so that the church then grows up to maturity and then so that the church is effective in its mission in the world. 
So it's not just something academic. We just want people with better doctorates and so on. It's because we want to see the Bible changing the church so that the church under God can change the world, which is the way God sees it in God's mission. But let's go back for just a few more minutes to the Apostle Paul, because what I'd, what I'd like to do is to try and show how, in my view, the ministries that Langham does are actually rooted in the kind of ministries that the Apostle Paul did. If you look at the Apostle Paul's mission strategy, you would have to look at some of his team, the people he had around him. People, for example, like Timothy. Timothy was himself a preacher, Paul tells him that, and he was a trainer of preachers. That's what Paul told him to do. And then there's someone like Tertius or Tertius, uh, who actually was a writer, a scribe. He wrote the letter to the Romans. He tells us that at the end of, the, uh, of that epistle. And somebody like Apollos, uh, who was a theological teacher. He was engaged in systematic training and teaching of the church in Corinth. We read about him in Acts. And what I'd like to suggest is that each of our three Langham programs, because we have three programs, it's, it's what we do is basically uh, three um, operations, that each of them is kind of following in these men's footsteps. Um, that if they were to come alive today, we could have a chat and we could take them to the website and show them all that Langham is doing or take them around the world. Uh, I think they would agree uh, that we are not exactly doing it like they did, but we're trying to do what they did. So let's think about them then. First of all, there's, uh, there's Timothy. Will he come up? Yeah, let's move on. Uh, I just said all that. There we are. There's Timothy. Now, Timothy himself was a preacher because that's what Paul tells him. He says, you, knew, you know the Scriptures, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In fact, you've known them since you were a child, and you know that they lead people to salvation. You know that all Scriptures are inspired by God, and they're useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training so that we can be equipped for good works. So then, Paul says to Timothy, I urge you, preach the Word. And he says that several times in the epistle. Study to be a workman, not ashamed because you're rightly handling the word of truth. But then he doesn't only tell Timothy to preach the word, and I dare say that Paul probably gave Timothy some lessons in, in scriptural preaching. He told Timothy to be a trainer of preachers. It says that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the things that you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, you entrust that to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others also. In other words, Paul sees a kind of cascade from himself to Timothy, from Timothy to those Timothy would train, and then from those that they would train to others also, so that the Word and the message and the teaching would be reaching an ever-multiplying number of people. That was Paul's approach. And that is very like what we do in Langham Preaching. That's one of our three ministries. Uh, it aims to inculcate and initiate movements for biblical preaching. That is, training people, whether they're already pastors or lay preachers, because there are many people around the world church who are preaching week by week who are not necessarily ordained as a pastor, uh, but simply doing the work, uh, and others like uh, student leaders and so on, but people who are handling the Word of God. And so all around the world, we're uh, initiating movements to bring those people together sometimes for uh, a week of seminars, and then get them to carry on in preachers' clubs, uh, that is, little societies that maybe meet once a month and encourage one another, pray for each other, share their teaching together. 
If you go to a particular town in Bolivia on any Sunday, no matter what church you go to in that city, you will hear the same text from the Bible being preached. Why is that? Because they, all the pastors in that city get together every month, and they work on their preaching for the coming month. They plan it. They decide what book of the Bible they're going to preach, and they work on their sermons together. And I'm sure that their preaching is so much enriched because they're sharing and working that way together. It's a Langham Preaching Club in Bolivia. If you go to Vanuatu, this place, uh, the, the rather pasty-looking white guy over there on the, on the right is me. Um, this was one of our very first, it was the first Langham Preaching Seminar in Vanuatu, which is a group of islands in the Pacific, by the way. Uh, but if you were to go there now, there's a, again, there's a group of women, lay preachers, licensed preaching women, uh, who are meeting every Thursday morning at 5 a.m. in order to study together the text that they're going to preach the following Sunday. Uh, so that they are preparing each other, preparing together to handle the Word of God. That's the kind of thing that Timothy was doing, that Langham Preaching is doing. So we move on to the uh, second character that I mentioned earlier, Tertius. Uh, I'm sure you quite possibly never heard of him before, but at the end of Paul's letter to the Romans, there's this little verse in Romans 16 which says, I, Tertius, the writer of this letter... And you might say, hey, I thought this was you know, the epistle of Paul, the apostle of the Romans. Well, of course it was, but Paul was dictating it, and Tertius was a trained scribe. And that was an honorable and important profession in the ancient world. Literature, text mattered, and they needed to be accurate. So if you wanted anything really well done, you made sure you got a, a professional scribe. And the apostle Paul, of course, knew the importance of the written word. There were the written scriptures of the Old Testament, uh, there were the written documents that had gone into that. There were then his own letters, uh, because when he couldn't teach a church, he would write them a letter, so that they then had his teaching that could be read and read and read again in the church. Well, Langham Literature is a ministry something like that. Uh, it was started by John Stott way back in 1970, when he dedicated all the royalties that he was receiving from his own books, which even by then were quite many and raising quite a lot of money, and to put all those royalties into a trust fund uh, called the Evangelical Literature Trust in order to get books into the hands of pastors. So that program then developed over the years into a program now called Langham Literature, uh, which sends literally hundreds of thousands of books around the world to pastors, to students, to seminary libraries, and so on. Because, as John Stott says, as you can see on the screen, pastors can't preach if they don't study, or at least they shouldn't preach if they don't study, well, sadly some do, and they certainly can't study if they've got no books. And he saw that in many parts of the world, still today, you can go to many parts of Africa where you will meet pastors uh, who are pastoring churches and maybe all they have is a Bible and perhaps a hymn book if they're an Anglican or something like that, but no resources, no commentaries, nothing to help them to understand how to preach and teach the Bible. So Langham Literature is doing that and not only sending you know, Western books around the place, but also helping to create indigenously written books to help people understand. This one on the screen is the Africa Bible Commentary which uh, was produced in 2006 as the fruit of seven years of work, entirely written by African scholars, not a translation of a Western book, but written for the African context. It now exists not only in the major older colonial languages of Africa, English, French, and Portuguese, but also, as you can see, in Swahili, Amharic, Hausa, Malagasy, which are more regional national languages of Africa. 
And if you want to have a look at it, you can see it at the back. It's on the table. You know, finger it if you can carry it. It's pretty heavy. This one is the South Asia Bible Commentary. Uh, it's about 1,800 pages long, uh, entirely written by South Asian evangelical Christian scholars from India, Sri Lanka, Nepal. Again, this was about seven or eight years of work. It was launched in 2015. It's now being translated into Hindi, soon into Tamil and Urdu for Pakistan and uh, Bangla for Bangladesh. And this is entirely for that context. It's a, a one-volume commentary on the whole Bible. It's absolute gold dust for a pastor in India, in rural India, uh, who at last has got something that will help him to understand and to preach from different parts of the Bible. So that's the work of Langham Literature, um, that, creating books, also helping publishers uh, around the world. And moving on rapidly to our third character, Apollos, whom I rather love because he uh, is a cross-cultural missionary. He was converted to uh, Jesus in Africa because he came from Alexandria in North Egypt. He was learned in the scriptures of the Old Testament. Then he comes to Asia, to the city of Ephesus, where he gets further theological teaching from Priscilla and her husband Aquila, that wonderful couple uh, that are working there as co-pastors in the church in Ephesus. Uh, and then they send him to Europe, across the sea to Corinth. And we read in Acts 18 that he was a great help to the church there because he was proving in public debate from the Scriptures of the Old Testament that Jesus was the Messiah. In other words, he was engaged in systematic theological education. I mean, if you want the technical words, you know, if you're in Denver Seminary or something, he was engaged in apologetics, Old Testament hermeneutics, and Christology, quite a curriculum. And there he is teaching the church alongside the Apostle Paul, the church planter, the evangelist, is Apollos, the theological educator. And so clearly, as part of the Great Commission, as part of the work of the church, scholarship, teaching is important. The church needs teachers, those who understand the theology. And so John Stott started the Langham Scholar Program in 1969, people like Ashish Krispal and others, he's from a friend of mine from India, in order to raise the standards of evangelical theological education in seminaries. And so now, over these past 40-something years, uh, the number right now is that we have 303 Langham scholars, that's what they're known as, who are returned, who have gone back to the majority world and are engaged in teaching, in seminary, and in all different forms of church leadership uh, in their home countries. And at this moment, we are, I think it is 67 currently in the pipeline who are doing their doctorate either here in the U.S. or in some cases in the U.K. and in other parts of the world, in, uh, in Hong Kong and um, South Africa and, and other places. And so the Langham Scholar Program is at the sense at the other end of the spectrum from grassroots training of preachers in the Langham Preaching Program right through to the academic levels of those who will influence and teach the church as scholars. That's the work of, of the Langham Scholar Program. And if, by the way, you're wondering what on earth does this word Langham mean, it's just a street in London. Uh, it's where John Stott was when he formed these ministries, All Souls Church, Langham Place. It's right where the BBC is in central London, and that's just given the name to the organization. So, moving on finally then, here we have uh, Langham as, as one vision, one mission, but with these three prongs, uh, that it is all aimed at enhancing the preaching and teaching of the Scriptures, whether that happens in a pulpit or from some other way in which somebody is preaching the Word, 
or happening in a classroom uh, as somebody's teaching future pastors from their studies, or within the pages of a book that is helping some hard-pressed pastor understand a Bible passage in order to preach it next Sunday. Those are the kind of ministries that the Langham uh, Partnership is doing. And as I said, if you want to follow up and find more, just go to the website. Uh, just use that word Langham and put .org at the end, and uh, you'll find it. So let's just go back and, and say this is what we long for, the World Church. This is how we partner with the World Church. But of course, we, we shouldn't neglect to come back to that passage of the Apostle Paul and to say, is the gospel growing all over the world? Yes, praise God, it is. But is the church growing in depth and maturity all over the world? Well, sadly, in many places, not. And so that is where we want to pray for ourselves that we would grow up in maturity, that this church would be a place of nourishing, faithful preaching of the Scripture so that people grow up, and that through our partnership with Langham Partnership, we can be helping others around the world to do the same. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we do thank You that You have put so much riches into Your Word, the Holy Scriptures, both in the Old and in the New Testament. We thank You that You've called into existence a people for Your own possession, going right back to Abraham and through the nation of Israel and through the people of the Lord Jesus Christ and our brothers and sisters all over the world today. Thank You for this great reality. And we ask that You would make us faithful, faithful to Your Word, we pray that you would bless this church and bless Tim and Susie as they lead it and all the others who are involved in ministry here uh, with the young people and the children and in the community and to the very ends of the earth. Keep us, Lord, faithful to your word, to your gospel, and to the Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen.